Section 1 of The Encantadas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The Encantadas by Herman Melville. Sketch First. The Isles at Large. That may not be, said then the ferryman, least we unweeding hap to be foredone. For those same islands seeming now and then are not firm land, nor any certain one, but straggling plots which to and fro do run in the wide waters. Therefore are they height, the wandering islands. Therefore do them shone. For they have oft drawn many a wandering wight into most deadly danger and distressed plight. For whosoever once hath fastened his foot thereon may never it secure, but wandereth evermore uncertain and unsure. Dark, doleful, dreary like a greedy grave that still for carrion carcasses doth crave. On top whereof I dwelt the ghastly owl, shrieking his baleful note, which ever drave far from that haunt all other cheerful fowl. And all about it wandering ghosts did wail and howl. Take five and twenty heaps of cinders dumped here and there in an outside city lot. Imagine some of them magnified into mountains, and the vacant lot, the sea. And you will have a fit idea of the general aspect of the Encantadas, or Enchanted Isles. A group, rather, of extinct volcanoes than of isles, looking much as the world at large might, after a penal conflagration. It is to be doubted whether any spot of earth can, in desolateness, furnish a parallel to this group. Abandoned cemeteries of long ago, old cities by piecemeal tumbling to their ruin, these are melancholy enough. But, like all else which has but once been associated with humanity, they still awaken in us some thoughts of sympathy, however sad. Hence, even the Dead Sea, along with whatever other emotions it may at times inspire, does not fail to touch in the pilgrim some of his less unpleasurable feelings. And as for solitariness, the great forests of the north, the expanses of unnavigated waters, the Greenland ice-fields, are the profoundest of solitudes to a human observer. Still, the magic of their changeable tides and seasons mitigates their terror, because, though unvisited by men, those forests are visited by the May. The remotest seas reflect familiar stars even as Lake Erie does, and in the clear air of a fine polar day the irradiated azure ice shows beautifully as malachite. But the special curse, as one may call it, of the Encantadas, that which exalts them in desolation above Idumea and the Pole, is that to them change never comes, neither the change of seasons nor of sorrows. Cut by the equator, they know not autumn, and they know not spring. While already reduced to the lees of fire, ruin itself can work little more upon them. The showers refresh the deserts, but in these isles rain never falls. Like split Syrian gourds left withering in the sun, 
they are cracked by an everlasting drought beneath a torrid sky. Have mercy upon me, the wailing spirit of the Encantadas seems to cry, and lend Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Another feature in these isles is their emphatic uninhabitableness. It is deemed a fit type of all-forsaken overthrow, that the jackal should den in the wastes of weedy Babylon. But the Encantadas refused to harbor even the outcasts of the beasts. Man and wolf alike disowned them. Little but reptile life is here found. Tortoises, lizards, immense spiders, snakes, and that strangest anomaly of outlandish nature, the aguano. No voice, no low, no howl is heard. The chief sound of life here is a hiss. On most of the isles where vegetation is found at all, it is more ungrateful than the blankness of Aracama. Tangled thickets of wiry bushes, without fruit and without a name, springing up among deep fissures of calcined rock, and treacherously masking them, or a parched growth of distorted cactus trees. In many places the coast is rock-bound, or, more properly, clinker-bound, tumbled masses of blackish or greenish stuff like the dross of an iron furnace, forming dark clefts and caves here and there, into which a ceaseless sea pours a fury of foam. Overhanging them with a swirl of gray, haggard mist, amidst which sail screaming flights of unearthly birds, heightening the dismal din. However calm the sea without, there is no rest for these swells and those rocks. They lash and are lashed, even when the outer ocean is most at peace with itself. On the oppressive, clouded days, such as are peculiar to this part of the watery equator, the dark, vitrified masses, many of which raise themselves among white whirlpools and breakers, in detached and perilous places off the shore, present a most Plutonian sight. In no world but a fallen one could such lands exist. Those parts of the strand, free from the marks of fire, stretch away in wide level beaches of multitudinous dead shells, with here and there decayed bits of sugar-cane, bamboos, and coconuts, washed upon this other and darker world from the charming palm isles to the westward and southward. All the way from Paradise to Tartarus, while mixed with the relics of distant beauty, you will sometimes see fragments of charred wood and mouldering ribs of wrecks. Neither will any one be surprised at meeting these last, after observing the conflicting currents which eddy throughout nearly all the wide channels of the entire group. The capriciousness of the tides of air sympathizes with those of the sea. Nowhere is the wind so light, baffling, and every way unreliable, and so given to perplexing calms as at the Encantadas. Nigh a month has been spent by a ship going from one isle to another, though but ninety miles between, for, owing to the force of the current, the boats employed to tow barely suffice to keep the craft from sweeping upon the cliffs, but do nothing towards accelerating her voyage. Sometimes it is impossible for a vessel from afar to fetch up with the group itself, unless large allowances for prospective leeway have been made ere its coming in sight. And yet at other times, 
there is a mysterious indraft, which irresistibly draws a passing vessel among the isles, though not bound to them. True, at one period, as to some extent at the present day, large fleets of whalemen cruised for spermaceti upon what some seamen call the enchanted ground. But this, as in due place will be described, was off the great outer isle of Albemarle, away from the intricacies of the smaller isles, where there is plenty of sea-room. And hence to that vicinity the above remarks do not altogether apply, though even there the current runs at times with singular force, shifting too with as singular a caprice. Indeed there are seasons when currents quite unaccountable prevail for a great distance round about the total group, and are so strong and irregular as to change a vessel's course against the helm, though sailing at the rate of four or five miles the hour. The difference in the reckonings of navigators produced by these causes, along with the light and variable winds, long nourished a persuasion that there existed two distinct clusters of isles in the parallel of the Encantadas, about a hundred leagues apart. Such was the idea of their earlier visitors, the buccaneers, and as late as 1750 the charts of that part of the Pacific accorded with the strange delusion. And this apparent fleetingness and unreality of the locality of the isles was most probably one reason for the Spaniards calling them the Encantada, or Enchanted Group. But not uninfluenced by their character, as they now confessedly exist, the modern voyager will be inclined to fancy that the bestowal of this name might have in part originated in that air of spell-bound desertness which so significantly invests the isles. Nothing can better suggest the aspect of once living things malignly crumbled from ruddiness into ashes. Apples of Sodom, after touching, seem these isles. However wavering their place may seem by reason of the currents, they themselves, at least to one upon the shore, appear invariably the same, fixed, cast, glued into the very body of cadaverous death nor would the appellation enchanted seem misapplied in still another sense. For concerning the peculiar reptile inhabitant of these wilds, whose presence gives the group its second Spanish name, Galapagos, concerning the tortoises found here, most mariners have long cherished a superstition not more frightful than grotesque. They earnestly believe that all wicked sea officers, more especially commodores and captains, are at death, and in some cases before death, transformed into tortoises, thenceforth dwelling upon these hot aridities, sole solitary lords of asphaltum. Doubtless, so quaintly dolorous a thought was originally inspired by the woebegone landscape itself, but more particularly, perhaps, by the tortoises. For apart from their strictly physical features, there is something strangely self-condemned in the appearance of these creatures. Lasting sorrow and penal hopelessness are in no animal form so suppliantly expressed as in theirs, while the thought of their wonderful longevity does not fail to enhance the impression. Nor, even at the risk of meriting the charge of absurdly believing in enchantments, can I restrain the admission that sometimes, even now, when leaving the crowded city to wander out July and August among the Adirondack Mountains, 
far from the influences of towns and proportionally nigh to the mysterious ones of nature. When, at such times, I sit me down in the mossy head of some deep-wooded gorge, surrounded by prostrate trunks of blasted pines, and recall, as in a dream, my other and far distant rovings in the baked heart of the charmed isles, and remember the sudden glimpses of dusky shells and long languid necks protruded from the leafless thickets, and again have beheld the vitreous inland rocks worn down and grooved into deep ruts by ages and ages of slow draggings of tortoises in quest of pools of scanty water. I can hardly resist the feeling that in my time I have indeed slept upon evilly enchanted ground. Nay, such is the vividness of my memory, or the magic of my fancy, that I know not whether I am not the occasional victim of optical delusion concerning the Galapagos. For often in scenes of social merriment, and especially at revels held by candlelight in old-fashioned mansions, so that shadows are thrown into the further recesses of an angular and spacious room, making them put on a look of haunted undergrowth of lonely woods, I have drawn the attention of my comrades by my fixed gaze and sudden change of air, as I have seemed to see, slowly emerging from those imagined solitudes and heavily crawling along the floor the ghost of a gigantic tortoise with memento burning in live letters upon his back end of sketch first recording by james k white chula vista